Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, everyone. This is Paul Brennan, PGA professional with Believe in Tennessee Golf, here on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? Our show is a breakdown of all things golf in the volunteer state. We will cover men's and women's golf tournaments, professional amateur events, and dive into junior golf as well. We'll talk to the players, the instructors, and the organizers. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. You can also find us on your favorite directory, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminaire, and TuneIn. You can find us at Believe.com or at Believe Podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at pbrandon21 or on Twitter at QIC underscore golf pro. So it's U.S. Open week. We're going to dive into a lot of that. A lot of the questions from the listeners this week came in about how to play the courses, how to make better decisions, but I'll dive into that later. Um, so let's go ahead and jump on the Pro-Am series starting in Nashville this week at Legacy in Springfield. Congratulations to Lauren Personette, shooting 68, finishing low pro up there. Second place, Audie Johnson with a 70, and Randy Helton shooting 74, rounding out the top three there. Moving over to Memphis at Memphis National, host professional Brian Wood shooting a 64. Congrats on that, Brian. Second place, Rafe Quarter shooting 69, Chase Harris shooting 71, and Mark Ziesman shooting 74. Moving over to Knoxville at Green Meadows. Tied for first, Walt Chapman and James Chapman at 69. Tied for third, Braxton Hunter, George Hall, Allie Knight, and Casey Flanagan at 71. Moving to the Tri-Cities at Graysburg. Congrats to Chris Stacy, shooting 71, winning there. Alan Fennell coming in second with a 73, and Chris Woods and Dylan Jones tying for third at 75. So the pro series have kicked back up, so you can check this all out at Tennessee Golf at tngolf.org. So diving directly into U.S. Open Prep Week, excited to watch the first round on Thursday to see how everything goes, but this year is being contested at Wingfoot. First time it's been there in 14 years. That was the year that Mickelson had the lead going into the 18th and didn't fare so well. You, I'm sure you've seen the replay of that one this week. So dealing with a golf course like Wingfoot, now again, this course is hosted, I think, this fifth or sixth time it's hosted the U.S. Open. It's been stretched out, rebuilt, moved around, uh, redesigned, um, an amazing layout to watch. Uh, and a lot of the things that were brought up this week were – managing the rough um we saw the twitter and instagram feeds of an honor palmer can being dropped down in the rough and it being that thick i know the usj has been controlling that for as the week goes on or they will continue to control that as the week goes on um but so when you get rougher conditions like that it puts a premium on driving the ball and being able to put the ball in play becomes the bigger thing versus the bombers and it's a Actually, it's, I think it's going to open up the field for a lot of the shorter players that are straighter off the tee to hit some shots. And we should see some really good scores this week. But the first question coming in from Eric is, how do you handle a course that is going to be that tight and, and that thick? Um, and Eric, again, the biggest thing I, I talked about on my students is we find our grids. Uh, and what I mean by our grid is we hit... 
10 or 15 shots with your driver and we find out your left right miss um how wide that grid is is it 30 yards 40 yards 50 60 um and again the number itself doesn't matter but it's an understanding of what your miss is um i, I know listening to um scott fawcett talk about with his decade golf system that the average tour pro at 290 has a 65 yard dispersion um, and that's why Phil Mickelson generally only hits about 20, like, so last week he only hit 25% of his fairways. Um, for his career, he's let, hit less than 50%. So their dispersions can get wider than we see. We only see the best players, and I talk about this all the time. We see the highlights. We see the guys that are playing well. We don't see the bad shots in the, in the missed cut. So we see a, a wider dispersion. So when we can build our grid, Knowing that if we've got driver in hand or we're hitting three wood or I know Dustin Johnson's hitting some irons this week. They've built him that amazing two iron. As we're hitting these shots, what's my left right miss? How big of a target do I have? And then that way I can use this to know that I'll aim at a bunker and if I hit it really good, it's going to be in this area. And if I miss hit it, my miss is going to cause it to be over here. I can manage the big numbers and not make the big mistakes. Um, so again, the first thing I would look at, Eric, is get out to your driving range and figure out how wide the flags are apart. And then hit 10 or 15 drivers and figure out if you can put those all inside that grid um, and start building that as an understanding. And then if the grid gets too small, then figure out what your three wood or your, your longest driving iron or five wood or, or, or hybrid or whatever that, that club is that's long enough to play, um, the hole and, and so when you get into the course management it's not only about getting it as close to the hole as you can but keeping it in the fairway so that you can still play um with the conditions this week you're going to see a lot more guys being forced i know dustin johnson again talked about it in his interview he's going to be hitting irons a lot he doesn't like to draw his driver so holes that are forcing a more right to left tee shot for him he's going to be hitting that driving iron. So he's going to have a lot more 150 to 170 yard shots than we're accustomed to, whereas we're used to seeing him bomb it down there and have a lot more wedges in the hand where he's very proficient as we go through this. Um, the other thing in this, uh, Eric, as far as the course management, I know Duvall talked about it multiple times with uh, Trevor Immelman on the, in the Golf Channel this week. But when the tournament was there in 2006, Duvall talked about he would drop – 10 or 15 golf balls and hit from 30 to 60 yards on every hole because when the rough got thick and he was forced just to gouge it out, um, not be able to knock it up there next to the green, um, and then how to play those wedge shots and which which greens were receptive from what distances. Um, so this is another thing you can start to build into your uh, course management. So Eric, like if you're playing a, a par 5 and it's you know, 550 yards and if you can get a good tee shot and a good 3 wouldn't get on, go for it. Um, but if not, where are you better with? Are you better from the greenside bunker? Are you better from uh, a 30-yard wedge shot or a 50-yard or a 70-yard or 90-yard uh, shot coming into the green? And, and this plays a big key into it. I know there's an article years ago, and I think I've talked about this one before. Um, there was a 600-yard par 5 at Disney that at that time, early 90s, uh, late 90s, early 2000s, nobody had ever been on it in two. When Tiger would go down and play the tournament at Disney, he would, if the pin was on the front, he would hit driver three wood and try and knock it in the bunker short of the green. The reason he did this, uh, according to the articles, he felt like he could get up and down at least half the time from that bunker. 
So by hitting it in that bunker, he was going to make birdie 50% of the time. Uh, but as soon as the pin got moved back to the back of the green, he would lay up to more of a standard wedge distance for him. That way he could put more spin, flight control, um, and just didn't feel like he could get it from the bunker all the way back to that pin. So Tiger was always kind of the, the statistician when it came to this, how to plot around a golf course. Um, and, and I know there's a lot of theories and systems and stuff out there on how to manage a course, but it's got to be yours. You can borrow a little from here and borrow a little from there, but at the end of the day, Eric, you've got to hit the shots that you feel most comfortable. If you're better at 25 yards and you're at 50, then you should try and lay up at 25. Um, if you're better at 75 than 50, you should lay up at 75. I know I was doing the skills challenge personally this week um, at the studio, and um, I'm not as good from 25 yards as I am from 50. And, and so I'm realizing that's a shot that I'm going to have to work on. Um, and working on the scoring quotas and things like that. And again, 25 yards we take from granted for it's so close. But based on its proximity, we should hit our shots a lot closer to the hole. And I was leaving myself a lot of, you know, 15, 20 footers in most cases as I did this. But as soon as I get to the 15, 75 yard shots, I started hitting some inside five feet because it's just a fuller swing, easier to control for me. Um, so again, let's me see what I need to work on. But First, Eric, figure out what your grid is, how far, dispersion, driver, three-wood, irons, uh, and then figure out what your better wedge distances are, and then start playing the holes that way. I know Dr. Bob Rotella talks about in one of his books, playing number 10 at Augusta, you would play it backwards. Um, and so he was talking about the way the green is focused, trying to figure out what kind of shot one lands into it, um, and going into their program to what distance would be best left in and then figuring out what to hit. Um, and I know he advocated a lot of the players should hit three wood down the left side, leaves him a little bit longer shot, but it takes going through the fairway like we saw Bubba Watson do that one year. Um, and also if you hit driver and it didn't turn enough, it gets caught up on top of the hill where something that's a little bit shorter takes the dive. Now, again, we don't all get to play Augusta, but as he described that hole, it made perfect sense that it's not always rip driver. Sometimes it's all about positioning yourself, and there's mounds and slopes that can really help with that. So, Eric, I'm, I'm calling for a lot of range time on this one. Get out there and figure out what your dispersions are, uh, figure out what your misses are, left, right, figure out your distances for your wedges, and then start plotting the golf courses that way for you. So hopefully that helps you a lot. This one kind of tying into Eric's question comes from Jason, and Jason was asking about playing from the rough. Now, I know I covered a little bit about this, what Duvall was talking about um, earlier in the week, um, but the biggest thing I talk about, Jason, from playing with the rough, and I covered this with one of my students in a playing lesson this week, is just because your five iron distance from the rough doesn't mean you should hit the five iron. Um, there may, the ball may be sitting down too much. That may not be enough loft to get it up and elevated and actually hit it out and down the range. Um, and you might be better suited hitting, uh, a seven or an eight iron and just getting it as close and then trying to play it up the wedge. The other thing when playing from the rough, um, you're not going to hit the ball as cleanly. So again, trying to hit those really low lofted clubs, we don't get as much contact. We see them kind of skip and sometimes not even get out. The other thing is when we hit those seven and eight irons because they're sometimes getting grass trapped between the face and the ball, it comes out with less spin. So, and again, we've we've referred to these as jumpers over the years. 
Uh, you'll hear that a lot in, in commentators talk when he hits a shot from the rough and it flies over the green. But it just means that there was less spin on the ball. The ball went further than it normally does um, because no groove contact. And so that 7 or 8 iron from the rough might actually be able to get further down range than your 5 did because of that. I know I show this to a lot of students when we're doing fittings. When I put the impact tape on the 7 iron, all of a sudden it goes 15 to 20 yards further. And they're like, why did that happen? I said, well, it's because there's no spin on it. It actually has driver spin. Um, and so the ball knifes to the air more. So great for distance, not great for holding greens. Um, so again, first thing is get the club that you can get out of the rough and as far down range as you can. Now, again, if it's more the knee-high stuff, turn sideways, take a sandwich, and just hit it the 10 or 15 yards back into the fairway and take your chances from there. Um, if it's the normal Bermuda rough that we have around here in that you know two to three inch range, depending on the ball sitting down or not, um, you know, sometimes you can get away with hitting a, a maybe a seven or an eight iron or nine iron distance wise. But as soon as you get those longer five and six irons and fours and even hybrids, there just may not be enough loft uh, because of that rough. So Jason, start looking at if you are in the rough, what distance do you want to be? So again, this, like I said, ties back into Eric's question um, or Eric's explanation, but Figure out how good are you are with your wedges. Um, what's your best numbers? Uh, do you have enough wedges in your bag to accommodate everything? A lot of people are only carrying three wedges with um, a pitch, a gap, and a sand. Is that enough? Uh, I know Dave Peltz uh, advocates for five wedges, um, ranging from pitch all the way up to the X wedge, which is a 64. So it's building that set makeup to help you score better in those scoring areas. But when you're playing from the rough, just really pick your evil. Um, when do you want to try and go for it? And when do you want to play the safer shot and just make bogey your worst score? So Jason, play some time, get out there with the wedges, kind of hit some shots, figure that one out. This one coming in from Tommy and, and Tommy is talking about clutch putts. Um, and we've seen it over the years in the U S opens. Um, one of the biggest ones that I can think of is the uh, Tiger putt at Torrey to get into the playoff with uh, Rocco. Um, again, amazing putt there. Um, stands out to me in my mind as one of the greatest U.S. Open putts, but I'm sure there's a lot of people who disagree with me on that one. Um, but yeah, clutch putts, what do you do? Uh, how do you hit them? What, what do they mean? Well, for most people, a clutch putt is meaning you have to have it. Um, it's the putt that's going to win the match, win the, the drinks, the dollars, um, off your buddies or, or the tournament, uh, in the cases that we're looking at this week and clutch putters do it best because they don't do anything differently. So the putts they're making on Thursday and the intensity they give a putt on Thursday is the same intensity they have on Sunday of a major. And that's why they're so good at it they don't change they don't have this certain intensity they have to change up or ratchet up um a lot of times you'll you hear the commentators on tv talking about you know he's he, he performs better on sundays the reason he performs better on sundays is he plays just like he did on thursday whoever the player is um but again clutch punch is just being able to get yourself get your mind where you're the most relaxed get yourself where you can make that putt um and it just really comes down to putting mechanics um, and pre putting routine, um, basic mechanics of putting, uh, as 
I talk about in my lessons is distance control, directional control, and green reading. That's the three things. We've seen arc strokes. We've seen straight back, straight through. We've seen inside down the lines. We've even seen Billy Mayfair's taking it outside and coming across the ball through impact. But the best players in the world square the putter up at impact. I know I talked about the Biomech um, earlier back in March where I did some testing with it and knowing that anything within you know a, a degree and a quarter will make an eight-footer. But they get it close enough to square that they're going to send it down their line. And they do that consistently. And again, it doesn't matter if it's Monday practice rounds or, or Sunday for tournaments or, or a Thursday men's league, um, <laughs> depending on what you're watching there. Um, but they're just doing the same things over and over. And so when the pressure gets on, they handle it the same way as if there was nothing meaning there. Um, again, I'm using Rotella a lot for this one, but he talks about the intensity of not trying to make the putt. Um, care less if you make the putt or not. Just put a good stroke on it. Um, there are so many things outside your control, whether it be the grain or spike marks or uh, ball marks you couldn't see or wind um, or imperfection on the golf ball, things like that, that just you can't control. That's why nobody on tour is 100% from eight feet. It's actually a 50-50 point for those guys. So they're really good from inside five feet. But from five feet to eight feet is where they start missing putts. Um, so, Tommy, just looking at the clutch putts, um, I know one of the drills that I used to do growing up, um, and again, just because I'd heard other guys had done this, is I think Mickelson used to have to make 100 in a row from three feet before he could go home. Um, now, he's evolved that to circle games and stuff like that, and you, you hear the years of Tiger doing something similar. Um, but you know, we don't go for 100 in a row, but set of, you know, 20 in a row, 15 in a row, something like that to gauge yourself and just start doing that more often. Um, take one ball to the, to the putting green and just, you know, make it 10 times in a row from three feet. And once that becomes automatic, let's move it back to four feet. Let's move it back to five feet. And, and but the stroke on a three footer and a five footer is almost identical. The pace is ne negotiable. Um, at best, as far as how much faster it's rolling, depending on the speed of your greens. So, Tommy, just really get out there, work on those clutch putts, which are just making those things. But one thing that I found um, in a really good putting drill that I use a lot is the four corners, and I'll set up tees at the high point, low point, and the most left, right, and right to left breakers on a hole from three feet. Um, and I have to make 10 in a row from a tee before I can move to the next spot, or a total of 25 from that tee before I can move to the next spot and then rotate around. So I'm going to make somewhere between um, 40 and 100 putts um, the first go around. And then I come back and I have to make one from every spot. So I make four in a row to call the day. Um, I got that one from a friend of mine who's a writer from Golf Digest and played on some mini tours for a while. And it's one that I use constantly. Um, it's a great drill um, and just staying on the three foot because if you can start making three footers, your lag putts get better. Um, if your lag putts are better, you start rolling longer putts in because now you're not worried about being so precise on distance and line because you can know you make that three footer. And that's what Tiger did so well in his career. So Tommy set up that little T drill I was talking about. Uh, if you're looking at a hole, again, you don't even have to do that. The high and low points, just pick a point 
and then go the opposite and then do the if you're looking at clock face the first one you put down is six next one's 12 and put three and nine um, and, and get you five golf balls and just run that putting drill trying to make 10 or 25 10 in a row or 25 total from the tee to move on so Tommy good luck with that uh, let me know how it goes now the next one comes in from Mark and Mark is asking about who I think is going to play well at the Open and who are my picks. Um, and I've kind of gone back and forth on this one all week. Um, this one has brought up quite a bit at the center um, of who's my pick, who have I got, my guys. And early on, based on the, the length of the rough, um, and it's not a terribly long golf course. It's not stretching out at 8,000 yards or anything like that. So it quickly made me think of some courses from the U.S. Opens a couple of years ago, and I know Kisner made a great run. Um, Brian Harmon got himself in position against Kepka. Hideki Matsuyama's put himself in some positions, and those are a couple of names that are you know off the off the radar that I think you know can have some have some good runs and see what's going on. But looking back at this since the reboot, um, since the restart of the COVID golf. Um, JT, um, Justin Thomas has been playing really good. I, I definitely got to put him up there as being um, solid. Dustin Johnson has had some amazing playoff runs um, and since the reboot, so he's playing really solid. Um, again, I don't know how he's going to play the golf course being forced not to hit driver because he's so good with his driver. Um, it wouldn't shock me for him to be up there, but I think he might struggle a little bit this week just because he can't hit driver everywhere. Um, Rory is always going to be in the talk. Um, he is such a good driver of the golf ball. He not only hits it a long way, but he's very accurate. So definitely look at Rory moving up the boards there. Um, Xander Shoffley really, really making some headway this year, getting called out a lot. I think he's gonna, um, he's definitely going to be one of our next superstars. But definitely has a lot of talent there. Um, I, I, my surpriser for this week, though, is I'm going to go with Ricky Fowler. Um, Ricky's been playing good. I mean, we had an amazing year where he finished in the top five uh, in every major. We haven't seen that kind of performance out of him since. But Ricky's settled down, getting more stable in his game. Um, you're just seeing more and more out of him, uh, or at least we want to see more out of him, but that kind of be my dark horse. Um, again, Xander, Rory, JT, I'm sure that's on everybody's pick list, um, but those are some guys I think that have some really good excitement. I'm looking forward to see how they do the opening round on Thursday, um, but again, my, my sleeper pick there is going to be Ricky. So, um, Mark, you didn't tell me who your picks were, um, so I'll definitely hit you back up to try and figure that out, but everybody, let's get on TV was watch the U.S. Open this week. Have fun. I know it's weird being in September and not being June and Father's Day. So um, I know a lot of sentimental value has always come to the, the Father's Day finish on the, the U.S. Open, but it's going to be a lot of fun up at Wingfoot. Uh, the conditions are amazing. Um, but thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you all next week. This is Paul Brandon with uh, Believe in Tennessee Golf here on the Believe Podcast Network. No more podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? Please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. You can also find us on your favorite directory, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminaire, TuneIn. You can find me on Instagram at pbrandon21 or on Twitter at QIC underscore golf pro. You can also follow all our shows on Believe.com or our 
on at Believe Podcast. So get out and play some golf this week. The weather is amazing. We're seeing highs in the mid to low 80s. We're even seeing some stuff creeping 70s. I know I'm playing in a tournament Monday and Tuesday, so hopefully I'll have some updates from that. I can brag on me for a second, um, but I'll try to bring you some highlights from the tournament as we go on. But we'll talk to you all next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.